Thank you, Dan, and choir and instrumentalists for beautiful worship today. What lovely anthems we've had. I thank my God for you, 2 Thessalonians 1. Perhaps you remember the beginning of Paul's relationship with the church at Thessalonica. On his second missionary journey, Paul and Silas, and by this time, Timothy had joined them, were making their way westward through Antioch, the Galatian region. And Paul and company wanted to go and preach the gospel in Asia. But the Holy Spirit said no to Asia. And then Paul intended to travel northward up to Bithynia, but again, the Holy Spirit forbade it. No, not Bithynia. And while at Troas, Paul had a vision of a man from Macedonia saying, come over here, help us in Macedonia. Thessalonica is in the region of Macedonia. Come over here to help us. Immediately, Paul and Silas and Timothy, and by now the writer of Acts has joined them, Luke the physician. Luke describes, God called us to preach the gospel to them. Macedonia, the second city of major importance on the missionary tour through Macedonia's Thessalonica. Paul, as was his custom, first goes to the Jewish synagogue, and for three Sabbaths, he reasoned with the Jews, trying to convince them that the Messiah had to suffer and die and rise again, and this Jesus I am proclaiming to you is the Christ. Now, some of the Jews were persuaded that Jesus was the Christ, Some of the God-fearing Greeks and some of the leading women were persuaded as well. But many of the Jews in Thessalonica in the synagogue, they did not like Paul preaching that Jesus was the Christ. And so they, in today's terms, went to the marketplace and recruited, paid a mob to go after Paul. So Paul and Silas are forced to flee. They travel south to Berea, and even at Berea, the Jews from Thessalonica, they come down, they chase Paul down to Berea, and they agitate the crowd against Paul, where, again, he is very much threatened and harmed. And, well, Paul had convinced some of those in Thessalonica that Jesus was the Christ, but he'd only been with them for less than 30 days three Sabbaths. There was so much they knew, and yet after only three weeks, so much they didn't know. And so he sits down to write them two letters to substitute for his presence because, well, it's too violent for him to go back in Thessalonica. And so he writes First and Second Thessalonians. Many of you have been taught how to read a One of Paul's letters, I want you to look there, how they start in 2 Thessalonians. The first thing we look for in a letter written by Paul is the sender. You know, when we write a letter, we we sign our name in Christ, Howie, at the end, but not in those days that you put it at the very front. So the first thing you look for in a letter of antiquity is the sender, Paul and Sylvanus and Timothy. 
The second thing we look for is the recipient, and that's in verse 1 as well, to the church of the Thessalonians. And the third thing you look for in one of Paul's letters is a greeting. Look at verse 2. Grace and peace. That's the formula he borrows from culture and makes his own, grace and peace. And the fourth thing we look for in one of Paul's letters, though we do not always get the fourth thing when Paul's really mad, but usually we do, the, the fourth thing we see is a thanksgiving. Look at verse 3. We ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers. I want you to notice something unusual about this particular thanksgiving in 2 Thessalonians that is not in any of the other Pauline thanksgivings, and that is the word ought. You see that? We ought always makes it even stronger. We ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers. The way Paul words it here we ought, says that we are duty-bound. He and his fellow missionaries have a sense of obligation. Giving thanks is not an option. He is duty-bound always to give thanks for the believers in Thessalonica. It even gets stronger. Look at verse 3. We ought always to give thanks to God for you, brethren. Here it is. As is only fitting. Might translate that, rightly so. We ought, rightly so, always to thank God for you. Thanksgiving week. How did he get here so quickly? Did it sneak up on you? Seemed like it's about two weeks early this year. The week that Americans traditionally gather and give thanks for all that God has done. We're reminded this week that God is the giver of all good gifts. And many of us have so many things for which we could be thankful, a roof over our heads and clothing and employment. And, and maybe you have children that are a gift to you or grandchildren or a loving husband or wife or well, the, the fact that you have enough help this morning to be in this room play, praising God, well, we ought always to give thanks. In 2 Thessalonians, the spiritual leader of the Thessalonian church, Paul, says he is duty-bound always, rightly so, to give thanks for his brothers. And I join Paul today. I, too, feel duty-bound always, rightly so, to give thanks to God for you, the gracious members of First Baptist Church of Amarillo. What a unique church you are. I thank God for your passion for missions. I thank God that you're generous at the time of offering. Remember that God is our provider I'm thankful for the way that I, I see you love and care for each other in the hallways in the church, in the hospital, during grief or loss. When I can, I, I try to stick my head in the kitchen when 
the ladies are feeding a family that's experienced a funeral, and I, I try to say, thank you. That casserole, that dessert is the presence of Christ for that family today. Thank you is a word that we can never say too much. For your passion for sharing the story of Christ with your friends and co-workers, thank you. For whatever you are doing to make this place unique and special and grand and great and loving and kind and focused and united and dedicated and positive, I thank you. I could only wish that every pastor had the opportunity to be your pastor. But selfishly, I'm glad he or she doesn't have that opportunity because I have it. What are the reasons that Paul is thankful for the people in Thessalonica? Notice, first of all, because your faith is greatly enlarged. Look at verse 3. We ought always to give thanks to God for you, brethren, as is only fitting because your faith is greatly enlarged. The message puts it this way. You need to know, friends, that thanking God over and over for you is not only a pleasure, it is a must, and we have to do it. Your faith is growing phenomenally. First of all, he thanks them for their growing faith. After we had been in our present home for one year, four years ago, we planted some little pine trees. By the way, these little pine trees were a gift from a Sunday school class here. I went and bought the smallest pine trees I could find because that meant the 10 holes I would have to dig would be smaller. And so you, you, I want you to notice the little yellow flower. That little flower is only about that tall. Does that show you the size of that pine tree? And I thought, well, those things will never amount to anything. And you, you, you try to watch those pine trees every day, and you, you, they're just not growing. And then I noticed this spring, four years later, that the pine tree is taller than I. You, you don't notice. Paul says, I look back and I realize that your faith is growing phenomenally from 10 inches tall to 6 feet tall. Some people's faith's like the pine tree. You look and you say, her faith is different today. His walk with Christ is different today. I saw one of our teenage boys Sunday night, and he's just always been a little kid running around here, and all of a sudden I looked, and I was about eye to eye with him, and I said, when did you do that? He shrugged as if I should have noticed all along, but I didn't. Well, well, Paul notices all of a sudden those in Thessalonica, not their physical statue, but rather their faith is growing. Turn back maybe just one page in your Bible to 1 Thessalonians chapter 3 and verse 10. Here you see their faith had been an issue. 1 Thessalonians 3.10, we night and day keep praying most earnestly that we may see your face and may complete what is lacking in your faith. He prayed. Their faith isn't where it needs to be. They don't understand everything they need to know. They're, 
babes in Christ. He prayed their faith would grow. And by the time he gets to the second letter, he says, man, I look back and what I've prayed for is here. Your faith has grown. There's a second reason he gives thanks, and that is their love for each other. Look at verse 3. Your faith is greatly enlarged, and the love, not just some of them, but the love of each one of you toward one another grows ever greater. Now, go back again to 1 Thessalonians 3. This time, look it down at verse 12. May the Lord cause you to increase and abound in love for one another and for all men, just as we do for you in other words, in the first letter, he said, your faith needs to grow and your love for each other and your love for those outside the church, it needs to grow. I hope that you love each other like I love you. Now back to 2 Thessalonians 3. Notice what he discovers. The love of each one of you toward one another is, grows even greater. And it's not just some of them. It's all of them. During Operation Desert Storm, an officer stood in front of three dozen soldiers, men and women, the armed services. He had a special mission to go behind Iraqi lines, and he said, it's going to be a dangerous mission. I need three of you to step up and do it. I can't tell you when we'll get to you. We're going to drop you behind Iraqi lines. It may be days. It may be weeks. You'll be in danger the whole time. When we break through, we will find you. And he says, I'm going to turn around. And when I turn around, anybody willing to do this dangerous mission behind the lines, you take one step forward. He turned around, and he turned back around, and the line was unbroken. And he said, not one of you is willing to serve your country with this special mission. And a female soldier spoke up and said, Sir, we all stepped forward. That's what he's saying. Every one of you, each one of you, your love has grown so strong. Do you notice the relationship here between the vertical and the horizontal? First of all, their faith in God has grown it's grown phenomenally, he says, and as our relationship to God grows this way, then our care for each other grows out this way. If the vertical grows, the horizontal care does as well. I thank God because of your faith towards God and because of your love, your love, each one of you, every one of you for each other. I heard one of our deacons saying to someone a few Wednesday nights ago, when we say welcome to the family here, we mean it. Thank you for being a church like that. We spoke of one of our many ministries earlier, Fostering Hope. There's so many families in our church who foster and who adopt you're loving in such a way that your whole life is being rearranged and you have a child in your family sometimes for a night and sometimes for a lifetime. And some of you have done that with one child and some with multiple children. And we thank you. A couple of Wednesday nights ago during the evening meal at First Baptist, one of our members, a foster mom, received an unexpected phone call 
that an agency had an emergency placement, and that very evening she needed to take a child. They were moving the child from one foster home and putting it in another foster home, and she already had all of her own children. They were enough, and then she had a foster baby she was caring for, and well, I watched her go out of the church building. She came back in with this little foster boy and took him through the Wednesday night meal line, and I thought, man, he sure is taking this well. I can't believe that. Bless his little heart from one home to another home. And when she took him over the table, he just bawled. Another mom, another place, another table. Life was not safe or secure. As he sobbed, I watched your church member, this foster mom, pick up the little boy and just rock him. And for that moment was the presence of Christ to him. And I watched one of your staff members, without being asked, get up and take the other foster child and give it the bottle so that this mom could focus on that child. Thank you, Paul says, for being a church like that. In the hallway today, we'll have a Christmas tree with 500 names on it, and I can promise you ahead of time, every one of those names will be taken eventually by you to buy a child a Christmas gift that otherwise will not have a gift because you're that kind of church. I, I thank my God for you, Paul says, because the love that not just some of you have, but the love that all of you have for each other. There's a third thing he says, for your, your patience. In fact, he says in, in verse 4, therefore we ourselves speak proudly of you among the churches of God for your perseverance and faith in the midst of all the persecutions and afflictions which you endure. For your steadfastness. Another word to translate that is your patience, your perseverance. The, the Greek word is hupomone. It is more than just a passive endurance, but rather it is active. It is taking the, the suffering and the hardship around you and going through that patiently and steadfastly. Notice verse 4, in the midst of all your persecutions and afflictions which you endure. Remember, Thessalonica had been a hostile place to the gospel. And so Paul knew, having been run out of town himself, what they were facing. Verse 4, it's emphatic. We ourselves give thanks. Now, it, it might be odd that the founder of the church is bragging on the church, but he is. To all the churches, we brag about you. He knows what they face. Look at the end of verse 4. Persecutions, that is suffering for saying Jesus is Lord. And then afflictions, that's a, a broader term that means there's pressure, there's stress on you. There's three things we can do with our suffering. Someone said that suffering is kind of like gathering a pile of rocks. There's three different things you can do with those rocks. Or there's three different things that you can do with your suffering. First of all, you can put them in a bag, a backpack, and you can carry them through life, and you can let them burden you down and change you and cripple you and impede you. You know someone like that. She was one person, then the suffering. Now she's another person, and it's not good. It's changed her, made her bitter forever. You can do that. 
Another thing you could do is get angry and and take those stones of suffering and throw them at other people in your anger. You can take your hurt, your suffering, and you can toss them at those around you because life isn't fair and your suffering is undeserved. Some people do that. Or thirdly, Paul's saying the way the Thessalonians did it, you can take those rocks and you can stack them up and you can build an altar And at that altar, you can worship the God who shares your suffering and the crucifixion of Jesus. What are you doing with your rocks, with your suffering? Here's a fourth reason to give thanks because of their trust. Look again at verse 4. Your perseverance and faith. Now, this is the same word used above where he thanks God for their growing faith. But now in the specific application, it is their trust in God in the midst of of suffering. So I translate it this time as trust. We give thanks to God because your faith is growing, your love is evident, you are patient and steadfast, and you have trust God in the midst of afflictions. What happens to those who are persecuting the Thessalonians? Verse 6, God's going to repay affliction with affliction to those who afflict them. In verse 7, God will give them relief who are afflicted. Notice the Lord Jesus Christ will be revealed. The word there is apocalyptic language like John's last book, the apocalypse of John. It means to reveal. We call it revelation. The apocalypse of John, you see that there? Because Jesus will be revealed. And how does he come? First of all, he comes from heaven, meaning there is no higher place from which Jesus can come. And he comes with mighty angels. He comes with power. And thirdly, notice that he comes in flaming fire. God envisioned like there at the burning bush. He comes in the glory of God in flaming fire. If you don't think the innocent suffer, look at Jesus, completely innocent and yet crucified. And yet when he comes, he's Lord of lords and kings of kings. And to those who have been suffering, notice he gives them rest To give relief or rest in verse 7. And what happens to those who are afflicting those who say Jesus is Lord? Look at verse 8 and 9. Christ returning will deal out retribution to those who do not know God and those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. And these will pay the penalty of eternal destruction. Now I know there's a movement afoot in Christianity to say that Eternal punishment is not forever. It is a a temporary thing. I don't see how you can read words like this and come up with that conclusion. It is eternal destruction. And what does eternal destruction equal? Here's your definition of hell right here. Being away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. God is everything that is good, and only God is good. And when we choose to be separated from him in this life, then internally God respects our decision, and for eternity we are away from the one that we rejected. They are not punished because they don't know. They're punished because they have willfully said no to the gospel of Jesus. 
C.S. Lewis suggested that those who are separated from Christ in this life have simply given the freedom to continue that choice of separation from God. In other words, what C.S. Lewis is saying, in this life, if you choose, you will not follow Christ. Then eternity, God will respect that choice, and that's where you stay, apart from Christ. And apart from Christ is to be away from all that is good. It is to be in hell. This Thanksgiving, we all have a lot for which to be thankful. And I joined Paul. But while Paul is thankful for the church in Thessalonica, and rightly so, I'm thankful for the church in Amarillo, Texas. I must always. It is fitting that I should give thanks. Because your faith is growing like the pine tree. Sometimes it's so slow you don't notice it, and then you look back how far we've come. And because of the great love, not a few of you, but all of you have for each other and for those outside of these church walls. And because I know personally that many of you endure the hardest of circumstances, and yet you are patient and steadfast, and because you trust God even when it's not easy to do so. You've taken your rocks. You've built an altar. Fallen on your knees. And worshipped the God who will be revealed at the second coming of his son. A son who descends from the highest place with the power of the most mighty angels with God's flaming fire. I thank my God for you. It is necessary always, rightly so. Let us pray. God, keep our families safe as they travel to gather around the table. And at that table, may we remember that we are to be grateful to you. And like the Christians in Thessalonica, it's not a gratitude because there's no suffering. It's a gratitude in the midst of suffering. We ought always, rightly so, thank you, O oh God, for all of your wondrous gifts. Amen.